Well, good morning, church. Good to see so many familiar faces and a lot of new faces, too. So we're glad you're here, uh, one and all. If, you, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors and elders here at Peninsula Grace. And uh, excited to have you this morning worshiping our God uh, together with one voice and one heart. And we, um, we're walking through this, this message series called The Unfolding Promise. We're looking at the big story of the Bible and how from page one till the final page, uh, we're going to see this, this the continuous continuing story of, of God's intention for us as his created people and the rescue plan uh, to win back those that went astray uh, with sin. And so uh, this morning, we're going to be talking about the second part of God's promise with Abraham. And, and I thought, you know, we're talking a lot this morning in particular about Abraham and Sarah's journey with God in an attempt to conceive a child. And so because of that, I felt like it was an appropriate time to tell you uh, that just like Abraham and Sarah were on a journey, uh, Justin and Jill have been on a journey also to conceive a child. And I would like to introduce you to our three and a half inch gift from the Lord. Looks just like daddy. Uh, You'll get to meet this person on the other side of Jill's womb in uh, March, and so March 12th is our due date, and really this was just my ability to uh, take the church growth into my own hands. Uh, so we're going to try to go with that, and Jill was tired of me directing all my sermon illustrations on her, so we'll spread the love a little bit. Sorry, little one. Uh, it's coming. But, you know, out of the gate, um, We faced some, some hurdles in, in the attempt to get pregnant. And, um, you know, at times it was really hard for us to trust the Lord, to trust his provision, to trust his timing. And we know who our God is and when we know his good intentions for us, um, even when the outcomes aren't always the ones that we desired. And what we're going to see this morning with Abraham and Sarah is they also faced hurdles to their faith. In Genesis 12, God promised Abram a great son, or a son that would become a great nation, and that nation would bless all nations. But at the time, Abraham was 75 years old, and it's 24 years later now, and there's still no son. And in fact, we see in Genesis 11, we're told that Sarah is not able to conceive. And some say that's actually why he brought his nephew Lot along for the ride. It was because that maybe he was thinking it'll be through Lot that the promised line uh, of my family will come through. And so in Genesis 15, Abram asks the Lord a hard question, but I think probably a, a fair question. He says, Lord, wh what can you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? He continued, look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. So he says, well, obviously... It's not coming through Sarah, um, and so maybe it's going to come through one of the servants in my house, to which God responds by doubling down on his promise that he's already made to Abraham. He says, the, the, word, the word of the Lord came to him. This one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. It's not coming through your slave, Abram. It's coming through you yourself. He took him outside and he said, in the words of Mufasa to Simba, look at the stars. Look at the sky and count the stars. If you are able to count them, then he said, your offspring will be that numerous. Today, we're going to see Abram faced with the dilemma. Will he trust the story 
of God's promise for him, or will he try to take things into his own hands? And isn't this a struggle that each one of us face? Are we going to believe the promises that God has made to us and for us, or will we try to control our lives ourselves? There are really two options when it, when it comes to this. Uh, the first option is self-preservation. Fists up, and I am going to... See, when I don't trust God, my default is going to be I'm going to try to preserve my life in my own strength. And there are usually two manifestations uh, that come when we try to preserve ourselves. One is arrogance, to think that I have my life under control. My family, my work situation, my circumstances, I got this. I'm going to do it my way, my timing, my provision. The other way we can see this play out is anxiety, where we see I should got this, but I don't got this, right? And anytime, I think anxiety is a great temperature check to say where we think the control in our lives uh, lies. But the other option is, is self-sacrifice. Because when I believe that God is a promise keeper, that he is who he says he is, then I will give myself, surrender myself and all that I care about into his hands. And this is the scariest thing in the world, right? To hold the things that we most love with an open hand before our God, our own lives, the lives of our children, our future. And we say, God, I trust you more than myself. And this is the central question of our life. Will we trust him and, and surrender to him? Or will we not trust him and try to control, try to preserve on our own? It's today, the point, the main idea that I want to highlight out of God's story with Abram, his covenant partner, is that only when we believe God, only when we trust him, will we give ourselves to him. It's only when we believe who our God is that we will trust who we are into his hands. And I see that in three areas in the story of Abram. Uh, if you want to follow along with me, the blanks are in your bulletin. If you don't have a bulletin, right out those front doors on the left, you can see them on a little nice little round table. Number one, Abraham believed God, right? So let's, let's look at this. What is Abram's response to God's promises in verses 4 and 5 of this, this big nation that's coming from him? In verse 6, and this is a famous one if you've been around the church for a while, Genesis 15, 6, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. So Abram believes the promise that God just made to him and God says he credits him righteousness, that the, the just shall live by faith. We see that throughout the story of the Bible. We are not good, but if we believe the God who is good, uh, he declares us right in his sight. And so Abram does, exhibits faith here. And we would, we would say about faith, we would say it this way, faith is believing despite the disparity between our circumstances and God's promises. So faith is believing this sometimes enormous disparity between what God has told us is going to happen and what we're seeing around us in our circumstances. So in our story that we've been looking at, when God told Noah, build an ark because a flood is coming, he wasn't like, oh yeah, that thing again. There had never been a flood. There had never been an ark. So he is seeing one thing, and God is telling him another thing. This is what's going to come, and this is what you're to do. And, and he exhibited faith by building the ark. We see this through Abram. Here is this uh, 75-year-old man who is told uh, that, that you are going to become this great nation in a foreign land. And, and here he is. Un they're unable to conceive. And they're living in a tent in the middle of the Middle East. And there's this giant disparity between what God is telling him is going to happen and his circumstances. And so for you and I, man, man, where is that in your life? Where do you see the, the, this giant disparity sometimes between what God is telling you and what you're seeing all around you? Abraham believes God. 
And last week we saw in this chapter, we saw God cut up a bunch of animals and he created this blood path that ran down the middle of these animals. And it says that his presence alone walked the blood path. Typically two parties would go through it and they'd say, if either one of us breaks our vow, may the blood of those animals be like us. That basically would we die if we break this covenant. And here God is saying, I alone, it's my faithfulness alone that this covenant is going to rest on. That God says, I myself will die before I ever revoke these promises to you, Abram. Now, if God did something like that for you and I, cut up all these animals, blood path, walks down, we, we would never doubt him again, right? Right? And, and we're going to see Abram from this point forward, Genesis 15, hand in hand with God, happily ever after, right? Look at what happens the very, the very next chapter, the very next story. Genesis 16, we see Abraham trying to preserve his own life again, trying to rely on himself. Verse 1, Abram's wife Sarai had not borne any children for him, but she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Sarah said to Abram, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave. Perhaps through her I can build a family. And Abram agreed to what Sarai said. And then we're going to hear some garden language. So Abram's wife Sarah took the thing that was not theirs to take, took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband Adam, uh, Abram <laughs> and, and as a wife for him. This happened after Abram had lived in the land of Canaan for 10 years. He slept with Hagar and she became pregnant. So we see that Abram is relying on, on himself, right? Now, did we even just read in Genesis 15 that he believed God? That he trusted that God would bring this promise to fruition? Now, to be fair to Abram, what did he tell him? He said, it's not going to come through your slave. It's going to come through your body, Abram. So Abram could be looking at his circumstances and going, well, my wife is unable to conceive. So if it's coming through my body, then I will take it through Hagar instead of Sarai. So we ask, are Abraham and Sarah really in the wrong here? Is this an act of faith or not? A couple of things to consider. First of all, we see here that he does not stop and first ask God. Look at what it says in verse 2. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. Or as the ESV would translate it, Abram listened to the voice of his wife. And again, we're back to the garden when the man listens to the woman's voice and what she's been told by another lying voice. Now, the takeaway of this text is not, don't listen to your wife, okay? <laughs> that is not what I said. Do not take that sound bite and make it viral, right? Right, Jill? Jill? No, I'm just kidding. Um, she was first service. She's out of here. Um, so we, we see, the, what's it saying here? That, that Abram is listening to human wisdom before he's listening to divine wisdom. Galatians 4 sheds light on this. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. So he's looking at his circumstances and saying, based on the circumstances, this is the best I know to do. But what, what is he failing to do? God, what do you tell me to do here? What's your direction for me in this? And the other thing we know is that for Abram to do this, it meant what? Sleeping with, conceiving a child with someone who is not his wife. And while polygamy was rampant at the time, we know God's good design was sexual intimacy between a man and a woman. One man and one woman is husband and wife. So he is out of bounds of God's principles as laid forward from his word. So Abraham, Abraham's not walking by faith. He's walking by, by, by sight. He's trying to preserve his own way instead of surrendering to God's 
And we see in Abraham's life a roller coaster of faith and doubt. We see these great examples of his faith. He leaves his homeland, everybody behind, and goes to a strange place in the middle of the desert. We also are going to see today that he offers up his own son, Isaac. But we're also going to see these great moments of doubt and self-preservation. Twice in our story, Abraham lies about Sarah being his sister so that the man in charge doesn't kill him to take her. And we know God has promised all these things through Abraham. He can't be dead if these promises are going to come about, but he's not trusting God's word in that moment. He's trying to preserve it his own way, in his own time, in his own strength. And again, with Hagar and Ishmael here, he takes matters into his own hands. But what I love is that we do not see God go, well, fine, then my promises are off the table. What do we see here? God responds in grace. And what an encouragement for me to see Abraham, Father Abraham, great man in the Bible, right? Struggling to believe. Is that not an encouragement to our souls as we also struggle day in and day out to believe the promises of God? I think one of the most helpful prayers for me in the whole Bible is the one in Mark 9, the man with the demon-possessed son says to Jesus, I do believe, help my unbelief. Father, I do believe that you can heal him, but, but, but I am failing, I'm struggling in this moment to believe what I say that I believe. And we feel that tension in our lives, don't we? And we feel the disparity between what God is saying. We want to believe what he's saying, and, and, and actually walking in that. But I want us to take heart because this is a process. This is not overnight. This is a process. So we ask ourselves, man, how do I know if I'm walking by faith? With Abraham, this is tricky, right? This isn't always black and white. It's not straightforward. Well, there's not room for doubt. There's not room for faith. And so how do we know if I'm navigating this current walk? Let's think about like where we're at right now in the throes of this, this pandemic and all the craziness that's continuing to go on. It's like we're never going to be through the weeds on this stuff. How do I know if I'm navigating my life, my family's life by faith, faith or by sight and the choices that we have to make and the ways that we approach people? Well, two questions based on what we just saw in the story. Number one, am I constantly in dependent prayer? Am I constantly in dependent prayer? In other words, whose voice am I first listening to? Say, God, I need you to tell me what you have for me and my family, how we are to navigate this thing. And then do, after that, listen to your wife's voice. Let's just be clear on that. Secondly, am I walking according to what I know in his word? Abraham violated a, a principle that God had laid out for him. So as we look at our approach to these things, we have to ask ourselves, man, what does God's word say about this? Now, what we're not going to find is a chapter and verse that says whether or not to get the vaccine. It's not in your Bible. But what we do see are biblical truths and principles that teach us how to approach this. And you know what we find? That most often, God is much more concerned about how we deal with these things than some of the what's and the actual specific decisions we make. We have freedom in Christ. But we have been called to bear the fruit of the Spirit. And so whatever decisions we make, it ought to look like gentleness and kindness and patience and peace and joy. May we be marking ourselves and being a light to the world in the way that we love each other and love our community, brothers and sisters. We have to look different. We have to look different than the world around us because we are different in Christ. What is our motivation? What is our heart motivation? What are our priorities? Let us allow the word of God to dictate the way that we respond to these things. But the good news is we're going to struggle with that. There will be days we're nailing it and days where we are failing. And just like Abram, know that in the struggle, God's grace will be sufficient and he will not revoke his promises to us even when we doubt. Second thing we're going to see is the sign of the covenant that God is going to give to Abram. Genesis 17, 
It says, verse 1, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him, saying, I am God Almighty. Live in my presence and be blameless. I will set up my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you greatly. So Abraham is 99 years old here. It has been 24 years. Sometimes we flip through our Bibles just one chapter to the next, and we don't realize this was their life. And there were years between these chapters. Imagine 24 years living in the tension, in the disparity of God's promise versus his circumstance. And don't we often feel, man, God's promises are taking forever, right? And we see in verses 2 to 8, God confirms his covenant with Abraham. I'm going to make you a great nation in the land of Canaan. And he changes his name to Abraham, which meant father of many nations. Went from exalted father to father of many nations, as we know the promise entails. But he gets even more specific in verse 19 here, because Abram goes, okay, so through Ishmael, right? Through Hagar's son. And he says to Abram, no, your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will name him Isaac. I will confirm my covenant with him as a permanent covenant for his future offspring. My promised line will go from Abraham through Isaac. He tells him that here. But then he says, uh, verse 9, there is a part, uh, there's a, there, you have a part to play in this covenant, Abraham. Verse 9, uh, as for you and your offspring, Abraham, after you throughout their generations uh, are to keep my covenant. And here is his covenant on their end. This is my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you, which you are to keep. Every one of your males must be circumcised. You must circumcise the flesh of your foreskin to serve as a sign of the covenant between me and you. So here's a fun topic. <laughs> I, I promised that I, I had a bunch of jokes in here and I cut them out. So, I'll get an email from that. All right. So what is this weird sign all about? And, and it's part of this understanding, this, is actually, this is actually was a common practice of the time uh, with the other nations around them. Uh, we see that oftentimes in, in some of the other nations, um, that they, it was a common way to initiate initi an initiation rite for a priest. Um, it was the way that they would show complete uh, devotion to the God that they were serving. This is where we, we use the word consecrate, to fully dedicate to a person or to a, a purpose. And so these priests, there was a mark on them that would show we belong to our, our God, this exclusive relationship. So this sign was marked to those who were fully set apart to God, fully distinguished as members of his covenant community. Okay? It's like when you get a tattoo of your wife's name. I belong to you. Do that with your wife and not your girlfriend, just as a pro tip. Um, so why this tattoos? I'm going to get all sorts of trouble this week. Uh, so why this sign in particular? Why this sign in particular? Well, let's look at verse 12. Uh, Throughout your generation, every male among you is to be circumcised at eight days old. Every male born in your household or purchased from any foreigner and not your offspring. Whether born in your household or purchased, he must be circumcised. My covenant will be marked in your flesh as a permanent covenant. So just like we said, there, there are some similarities in, in this sign with the nations around them. There are also some distinctions. And we're going to see over and over again God saying, my kingdom and my people are, are different and set apart from other people and the kingdoms of this world. See, the, 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 the other nations at this time, they would only circumcise their priests and their kings, the most powerful, the most prominent. Who does he say in his covenant people will be circumcised? Every male. Every male. This is for everybody. Now, you might say, well, why not the, the women? Well, we know in a patriarchy, the line, the lineage comes through what the, the male line. So he uses this uh, symbol to show how the lineage would be tracked. In, in God's covenant blessing, 
it, it, it's extended to everybody. And notice here, he doesn't even say those who are born through our line, but notice he also says those who are purchased, slaves and people who are brought in. Ishmael's going to be circumcised as is Isaac. And, and there's a nod here, a beautiful picture to remind us that God is going to be grafting the Gentiles in. Remember we said last week that Abram, he's not just blessing Israel, he's blessing all nations through Israel. That God came, God, we sang it earlier, God so loved the world that he gave his son. And so there will be an inclusion of, uh, from all peoples. Now why, why circumcision in particular? Like, did God just grab the, the covenant sign wheel and just spin it and say, handshake, haircut, you know, circumcision. Like, we're just kind of go with random. No, there, as God is a God of order, and there's a reason behind these things. So there, first of all, it's a reminder. It's a reminder. So remember in this unfolding promise, what did he say back on page three of your Bible? He said that it's going to be the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. There is a promised one that will be born... How am I going to defeat sin and death and Satan forever? It's going to be through a little baby. And then he says specifically here through Abraham's seed, it's going to be through your line. The son will be born. It's going to come through the nation of Israel, Abraham's nation. And so what we see here is God saying, I will bring life from the death through the birth of, of a son. And, and it has been said this way, this is a nice way of saying it, the vehicle for begetting is marked. The vehicle for beginning, the tool that we have to create life is the, sim, is, the tool, is, is the part of the body that will be marked. And what also is going on here is the shedding of blood, right? In circumcision, there's the shedding of blood. And so we see through a son that is born in the shedding of blood, I will bring my promise to fruition. It's a beautiful picture. Well, I don't know if it's a beautiful picture, but it's, it's a beautiful sign of God coming, confirming his covenant. We also see a warning. A warning, look at verse 14. If any male is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that man will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. There's a warning. He says, if you do not follow through on this ritual of cutting off, then you yourself will be cut off from the covenant family. And this wasn't just about the physical sign. This was an act of faith. Because who do we say are the true children of Abraham? Galatians 3, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham, who had faith. He believed in God, considered him righteous, not because he was circumcised. He has already been declared right before he ever did this. The circumcision was a sign of his faith. See, God is never going to fail on his end. He walked the blood path alone. But Abraham's descendants who did not believe would not be included in this blessing. It's a warning. And finally, it's a shadow. It's a shadow of the things to come. So most cultures would wait to circumcise uh, until puberty or adulthood. I'm glad that's not our practice. Here it is on the eighth day. They're eight days old, and, and there's something beautiful about that picture. If you remember uh, back at the beginning of the story, uh, our creation week, six days God creates, and then the seventh day he rests. It says this is the state of completion. This week is done, creation is done. And then, so that means that the next day would be the starting of a new week, a new thing. And so the eighth day is the symbol of a new creation. And we said Abraham, just like Noah, is a picture of a new Adam and a new creation, that God's rescue plan is going to require a, a new people through a new birth. And this is what Galatians 6 says, for both circumcision and uncircumcision, they don't mean anything. In and of themselves, that physical act doesn't save somebody. It says what matters instead is a new creation. We needed new life. 
And this is what we see that Jesus does. Jesus accomplishes for us. This is a circumcision is a sign of what Jesus accomplished. You also, Colossians 2, were circumcised in him, in Jesus, with a circumcision not done with hands by putting off of the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. So it says Christ is the reality of what that picture was. And what did he do? He cut off, he removed our old sin nature. That that has been f- fully removed from us and we have new life in Christ. We are new people with new circumcised hearts. Remember, just like the picture of the priests, they were circumcised to dedicate themselves fully to the God they served. This is the picture, he says in Deuteronomy to his people, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants and you will love him with all your heart and all all your soul so that you will live. Remember, this is the intent of his image bearers. He created us to bear his image, to be fully dedicated to him in worship, in rulership, and in relationship. So we examine our own hearts. We're not just saying, are we doing the outward? Did I get baptized? Do I attend church? But have I given myself to Jesus and experienced the life-transforming work of his death, burial, and resurrection, removing, cutting off what was old, and bringing into existence what is new? God's looking for those who are fully dedicated for, to him. And another way to say it would be he's looking for an obedient son. This is our third and, and final point this morning. As always, we see God faithful to his promises. In Genesis chapter 21, what happens? The Lord came to Sarah as he had said. Once again, he speaks it and it comes to be. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. And 25 years later, Isaac is born. And just like we saw in creation... That, that where there was no life, God brought life. Where there was dark, God brought life, light. Where there was chaos, he brings order. It's the same thing he did to the flood, that out of the floodwaters of chaos and death, he preserves his promise, and a new Adam through Noah and his family come. And then we saw at the Tower of Babel, when, when chaos was created by their own disobedience and they were scattered from the chaos and scatter of Babel, he brings a new Adam out, Abraham, new life and light into a dark world. And we see them doing the exact same thing in this story. Through the womb of Sarah, again, a place where there appeared to be no way, where there was no life, Isaac is born. And now we go, okay, the promised line is good to go, right? Isaac is here and he'll have offspring. We'll have this big nation. And what happens in the next story? God says, offer him up as a sacrifice. He says in verse 1 of Genesis 22, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I tell you about. Now, wait a second. He just gave, Isaac hasn't had children yet. So if he is to kill him on this mountain, the promise is over. And again, we see a test. Just, are you going to believe the disparity? Just like with Sarah's barren womb, will you trust that, that in, a, in a moment where Isaac's existence is threatened, will you trust, is there anything too hard for the Lord? The cool thing is we, we have some hindsight from, from Hebrews 11 that tells us a little bit about uh, where Abraham's headspace was. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promises, remember the line, the promised line coming through Isaac, and yet he was offering his one and only son, the one to whom it had been said, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. This is, I'm, I'm giving him up, Lord, even though somehow he's going to have to be alive to have these children. And it explains what, what he was considering. He considered, Abram considered, God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. Three days they walk the mountain. Three days it's as though his one and only son is dead. 
and figuratively, Isaac rises from the dead. What's this pointing us to? And I'm learning more specifically in my own life now what it means to hold up a child and say, Lord, as long as you've given them into my care, I will love them, trusting that you give and you take away, and I can trust your good promises to me. We've seen Abram walk by sight. We've seen him try to self-preserve. In this, we see him walk by faith and be willing to sacrifice. Verse 5, Abram, Abraham said to his young man, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over to worship. Then who will come back? We will come back. Isaac and I are going to go worship. Who's coming back? We are coming back. Somehow, Isaac and I will return. How? That's up to God. And then Isaac asks a fair question. Dad, where's the lamb? Like, where's our sacrifice? And Abraham says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them walked on together. We hear Abraham's words of faith. I don't know how, but somehow in this disparity, God's promises will come through when my circumstances sure don't seem like he could. He speaks the faith, but then he walks the faith. And we know the moment he has his son on the altar. The knife is outstretched. And in that downward swing, God says, stop, don't do it. And look over in the bushes. There's a ram caught by its horns, not by its body, so that it's perfect and spotless. And once again, we see God providing an innocent blood sacrifice on behalf of another and then and then God says, he confirms his covenant with Abraham. Look at verse 15. The angel of the Lord, who some would say could be Jesus, uh, the second person of the Godhead, called to Abraham and second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn this is the Lord's declaration. Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only son, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sands in the, of the, on the seashore. Your offspring will possess the city gates of their enemies and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command. So he confirms this covenant here with Abraham. But did you notice the language? He says here, because you have done this thing, I will indeed bless you. Because you were willing to offer him up, then this blessing will stay intact. Now, wait a second. That sounds like condition language. That sounds like he's saying, because you sacrificed him, I'll bless you. Ergo, had you not been willing to offer him, I would have pulled my promise off the table. Is there condition now to where he had said, I will walk the blood path alone and only my own death will stop this thing? What's going on here? Well, we know since, since creation, God's desire has been for a son who will trust and obey him. That was his intent for Adam and Eve. And, it, you know, it, it's, been, it's been, again, fun for me to imagine what life as a father looks like as, as a child to love and to do things with and to have them trust you and give themselves to you and do what you say. God's intent for his kids here is for us to walk with him rightly and to, to do what he says, to do these, all these awesome things on this earth that he's given us to do and, and to restfully worship in who he is and trust him and obey him and give him, ourselves to him. But so far, God has not found this obedient, trusting son. It wasn't Adam. It wasn't Cain. It wasn't Noah. It wasn't Abraham. So where is he? How, isn't this a contradiction? How, say it this way. How can God both guarantee his covenant and still and yet require an obedient son? How can he say, I will, I will bring that rescuer and save the world regardless of what you do, but you also have to obey? Wait a second, there's a tension there, right? There's only one solution, and that's found in the gospel. 
Because in Jesus, in Jesus, God keeps his promise by becoming the obedient son himself. Abraham offered Isaac on the mountain of Moriah. And 2 Chronicles 3 says this is the exact same spot where the Lord's temple will be built. And for years to come, sacrifices will be made on the behalf of the sins of the people, their faithlessness, their disobedience. But we know the blood of, of lambs and rams cannot take away sins. This is a sign it's pointing us toward. As this fuzzy picture continues to come in clearer, we know this exact spot, at least this general vicinity, is where Jesus, the Isaac-like obedient son, walked up a hill and was sacrificed. And just like Isaac, Jesus obeyed his father every step of the way, even walking by faith to his own death. That Jesus was the only obedient son who always walked in self-sacrifice, never walked by, by self-preservation. That he, that Jesus, obeyed God for us. And just like Abraham's circumstance seemed impossible, like how, how in the world can Isaac be the promised seed if Isaac is dead? There's a small band of believers gathered around Jesus' cross asking the same question. If this is the Messiah, if this is the one who's come to be the king, to set us free, like how can God himself die? The disparity between the promise and the circumstances. But we know that unlike Abraham just thinking maybe God could raise Isaac from the dead, that Jesus did rise from the dead. Amen? That Jesus did crush the head of the serpent of sin and death through his obedience as God's son. Amen? This is the gospel. I can't be the obedient son. How many times have I disobeyed him this week? We needed God to provide the obedience and the son. And the covenant blessing, the covenant blessing to Abraham was available to all of his descendants. But remember we, what we saw in, in, the, in the sign, that they had to each choose to believe in order to be included in the family blessing. And their step of faith was, was circumcision. It was faith, not the sign, that was the key. And they looked forward to the obedient son that would come and rescue them. And likewise, for those of us, every single person in this room today, this blessing is available. This rescue is available. But it's for us looking backward. They looked forward. We look backward to the obedient son who came and rescued us. And we want to be, we, we, we place our faith in Jesus, identified as his followers. Today, our, our sign is to get baptized. Baptize, baptism in itself doesn't save you. Getting dunked in our lukewarm pool next door does not put you into heaven. But it is a sign that I believe what God has said about who Jesus is, the obedient son for me and in me and through me. We have to learn the obedience of faith. We have to learn the obedience. That means, that it, and, and we can take heart, that it takes time. Have you ever wondered, like, why does the Bible, why does this story take so long? Like, why, if, if Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and they need rescued, why didn't the promised son just, why wasn't it Jesus instead of Cain that was their firstborn, right? Like, why the thousands of years of darkness and, and sin and death before Jesus came? We can't speak for God. But we know some things about him. So Jill and I, uh, we were first introduced over Facebook Messenger, right? Tale as old as time. It's where every love story starts. We had never met before. She did not know me from Adam. So when I sent my first message to her, hello, Jill, my name's Justin on August 11th, 2018. She did not respond, hey, Justin, I will marry you, right? And I'm glad she didn't because I'd be like, oh, hey, <laughs> block. Uh, so we... 
what, what would happen is she actually, it took her nine days to respond to me at all. But that's a different story. Why didn't she marry me first day? Well, she didn't know me, right? She shouldn't. It's going to take time for me to introduce myself to Jill, to reveal myself to her, for her to earn my trust and, and run some comprehensive background checks, right? Like it's going to take time for her to be able to trust me. Now, God, he wants us as his sons and daughters to trust him and obey him. But listen, to do that, we, we have to get to know him. And that's why he has revealed himself to us in a story. John Walton says it well. He says, God has, given, has a plan in history that he is sovereignly executing. It's a good plan and a, and a good promise that he will keep. But he says the goal of that plan is for him to be in relationship with the people whom he has created. It would be difficult for people to enter into a relationship with a God whom they do not know. So just like with Jill and I, God says, i got to introduce myself to you. You need to get to know me so that you will trust me. And recorded in our Bible is one long story of God revealing himself to us. See my faithfulness. Run the background check. I was faithful to Noah, preserving his family through the flood like I said I would be. That I gave Abraham and Sarah a child where there seemed to be no way, just like I said I would, and I did not leave my son in the grave, but I rose him up forever, just like I said I would. That's our God. But we have to get to know him in order to be able to trust him. And like Isaac, uh, like Isaac's altar and, and Sarah's womb, um, We've had, to, we've had to watch God give life where there was no life. Abraham had to learn the obedience of faith. And even after this moment, it's not like now he's going to nail it for the rest of his life. He will continue to struggle with doubt and faith. You and I, we've heard the resurrection stories. We've heard the resurrection of Jesus. If you and I are believers, we've seen his own work in our own hearts. In this very stage, back in May, my brother Richie stood up here and shared his story of one who was dead but now is alive, who was an addict and now is free. We've seen God's faithfulness throughout the story. But to learn and trust to obey him. Why does he wait so long? Why 25 years for Abraham and Sarah? Why does he make us wait for so long? Well, just like with Jill toward me, it takes time and experience to learn to trust so that we will give ourselves to the lover of our souls. We said that it's only when we believe God that we will give ourselves to God. It's only when we trust who he is, where we've learned that he is a promise-keeping God and believe that, that we will surrender our lives to him. You bow your heads with me. I want to do us some heart work here. I want to take this to where we live. Man, I don't know where you're at this morning coming in these doors. I don't know what, what it is that God's pressing in on your heart, what areas of self-preservation you're struggling with. And there's probably something that, that popped into your mind as we talked about those things. What, what do you have your fingers tightly wrapped around? What are you in this moment unwilling to hold in an open palm before your God and to be able to truly say you give and you take away? I know I've got a whole list of things. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's a struggle, sin. Maybe it's a, an anxiety you have. It's your future. It's a child. It's a wayward relationship. It's your identity. Father, you are a God who keeps his promises. We've seen your story unfold here. That time and time again, you do what you said you were going to do. You're a God who makes a way where there seems to be no way. 
Father, I know there are brothers and sisters in this room today who are feeling the disparity between what you have told them, that Jesus has forgiven them, that they're accepted and clean and there's no condemnation, that you are going to grow us in Christ-likeness, that you're going to finish what you've started in making us like Jesus, that you are one day going to come back for your bride, that you're going to make all things right. And Lord, it's easy to look at our circumstances right now and the chaos and division and darkness and death of this world and go, I don't see it. I can't reconcile it. And we struggle just like Abram, hero of the faith, is also a hero of doubt. Father, we believe. Help our unbelief. And we know it's only through the finished work of Christ that you cut off, take out fully and forever remove that sinful part of us that did not want to obey, that did not want to trust, and that only now with this new heartbeat in us, this new life of Christ, that we can begin to be the people that you've created us to be be in a trusting, obedient relationship with you. But it takes time. May we be a people marked with your spirit, with your covenant family. We go into this world, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Be salt and light. To be life where is death, light where there is dark, hope where there is no hope. We can only do it by your grace. We are weak and powerless, but you're going to show yourself to be gloriously strong in and through these weak vessels that you've chosen to work through, Father. May we trust the story, help our unbelief. We can only do that in Jesus' name. It's his name, all God's people said. Would you stand with us?